couple things I would like to announce to you just as a quick reminder. Uh, December the 13th, which is just a couple of weeks away, on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, we're asking Christ Community to meet here. What we're going to do is we're going to meet here at 9 o'clock. We're going to have a little brief training session, and then we're all going to head over to Green Lawn Cemetery. There's this national thing that's been going on for, for a few years that Dave Pack, one of the guys who worships here, got plugged into. And because of his relationship with the guy who put this together, we are going to be receiving 3,500 wreaths and, uh, next, uh, or on Saturday the 13th in a big old truck. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to Green Lawn Cemetery and we're going to place wreaths on the graves of all the veterans that are there. And, and it won't be just Christ Community. There will be, be some other smaller groups there. But we committed to taking on two sections of the cemetery. They're going to divide it into four. And so anyway... I don't know about you. I don't know how you fall on this, but I am greatly, greatly appreciative of the men and women who serve in, in our armed forces and protect and provide for our freedom. That's a big deal to me. And I know, I, I know that's a big deal to you. And so on that Saturday morning, don't know what the weather will be like and really don't care. Actually, I do care, but if it's freezing, we're going anyway. And we will join groups from all over the country that morning placing wreaths on the graves of veterans. If you can help us at all, just take a couple hours of your day. We'll be done by noon. Nine o'clock here, ten o'clock over there. Be done by noon. Uh, then, then you'll have the rest of the day to, your, to yourself to go to your shopping or whatever else you want to do. But if you can do this then I'm asking you to just right at the very bottom of the ramp, there's a table there, sign up. So far, we have about just under 300 people that have signed up last weekend, but we need more. I told them we'd have 500, and we should easily be able to come up with 500. That's less than half of our congregation, so, so that shouldn't, shouldn't be a problem. And so I want you to join us as we do that and honor our veterans. Uh, the, the other thing I'll share with you for the junior and senior high students, this weekend we don't have XPG on Sunday evening because of the holiday and just encouraging people to have a good time with their family. But then Andrew will pick that up next Sunday evening. I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you would, and go to 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be introduced to this topic that we are all familiar with. It is the topic that is the centerpiece of of the kingdom of God. It is the topic that pulls everything together. It's the topic that holds everything together. It is what binds us together. It should be the driving force in the life of everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is love. Now, as we, as we do this teaching tonight, tonight is the fourth in a little series we, we have done called Kingdom Conspiracy. We started four weeks ago where we learned what it meant to worship fully, living lives of worship. Then I shared about what it meant to spend less money on Christmas. And then Scott last week talked about what it meant to give more of yourself to the kingdom of God. And then we're going to cap it off this evening by talking about 
what love has to do with it all. Because here's the challenge. I don't really expect, because I don't know how I would do it this. If Jesus came walking in right now and stood before me and said, Rick, I want you to sell everything you have, all of your possessions, and, and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, that's what Scott talked about last week. I want you just to give it all up and come and follow me. I don't know. I, I would like to say I know how I would respond, but I don't know really how I would respond to that. Wait a second, Jesus. I mean, I've got, I trust some of this stuff to see me through. What do you mean you want me to trust you? Um, I mean, I would ask those questions. I would really be struggling. So realizing that we're really not very different from one another, this Christmas we're only asking you to do one simple thing, and that is to buy one less gift, one less gift for all the people you're going to buy for, and by the way, I just got my shopping list for all the grandkids uh, and, and my kids to buy one less gift. And with that money that, that you save in, without, by, by not buying that gift, take that money and use it to advance the kingdom of God in some way. Whether it be making, uh, helping out with something local like the Salvation Army or the homeless shelter or something like that or going global with it, or, or you know families in need in your community, and, and you decide to give and provide for them, do that. That would be cool. I'll tell you, this was one of the neat things that... Um, I'm, I'm saying this, but I'm saying this not to, like, pat on the back thing. I'm just giving you an illustration. Bev and I would... Uh, she, you know, she was a school teacher for so long, and she always had kids who, who were without... And so, Bev would go and buy Christmas, and then my brother Dave uh, would put on a Santa outfit, and he'd come rolling up in an Aztec instead of the reindeer. The Aztec was the next best thing. Uh, and he'd come rolling up in the Aztec with a big bag of, of gifts to give to children just to, to bless their lives. Well, all of that was done because behind the scenes was a woman who just loved God and wanted to bless other people somehow. Maybe you would do something like that. That's what we're talking about. But let's start right now in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start reading at verse 7, and we're going to go through chapter 5 to verse 3. And, and here's what John writes. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. 
In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. Now, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, the first three verses of 1 John chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. Now, I don't know if you get this yet, but when you read the, go- the gospel, might as well be the gospel of 1 John, the centerpiece of 1 John is all about love. It is what he is driving at. And so, What I want us to do this evening, and you can take your your little sermon notes in your outline and and walk through this with me, I I want us to, to look at why we are to be characterized by love. Why should that be the character quality that people know us for? First is this, love all because God is love. Love all simply because that's what God is. When he identifies himself, when he draws a picture of himself, he uses one word, I am love. And so, so we love God simply because he loved us. It is his nature. It is the nature of his kingdom. Therefore, it's the nature of the citizens of the kingdom. If God lives in you, if you have repented of your sin and, and acknowledged Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you as the presence of God in your life. So you love because God is love and He lives inside of you. All right? Now, the second thing I want you to look at. We love all because God loves all. Now, I'm going to spend a little time here. And before I, before I really get into this, let me, let me clarify something. When, when we say love, what do we mean by love? What, what am I talking about when I say love? Because there's all kinds of love. In the English, we only have one word for the word love, and that's love. In the Greek, however, there were various words for love that actually drew a depiction or a picture of, of what was being said. For instance, one of the words for love is the word eros, E-R-O-S, where we get our English word erotic. And so, one love is a love that just simply looks at somebody and says, you're hot. I, I love you. I love what I'm seeing. Okay, that's, that's one kind of love, but that's not the love of God. But in the English, we would simply use that to say, I love you. That's why girls, now let me tell you something. When a guy tells you he loves you, if you're dating some girl, and I mean dating some guy, and this guy tells you he loves you, be careful. Because he's probably just telling you, I think you're hot. That's all he's got in his mind. You know why I know that? Because I'm a guy. 
all right? And I understand that. And, and uh, someone asked me uh, a while back after Bev had passed away, how'd you guys meet? And I, I, we met at a church. And, and when we met at a church, I saw her, and I thought she was hot, and I thought, well, I want to ask that out. I mean, that's, that was it. And, and so, so, girls, I'm just giving you a peek inside the mind, but just a peek because everything else is really bad. Um, okay, so there's, there's that kind of love. Then there's another word for love in the Scripture, and that word is phileo. And you know what that word means because we have a city in America named after using this word, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Okay, so when someone says, I love you, and they say, I phileo you, this is someone who simply loves you as a friend. Okay? Hey, we're friends. We love each other. I love you, man. I mean, that's that's kind of who we are. And then there's the other, there's the word, and this is the word that we're dealing with here, and that word is agape. Agape love. Agape love is I will sacrifice myself, my possessions, my very life in order to benefit you if that is necessary. I don't hold anything too close that I, I wouldn't give up for you. That's agape love. And it's pictured in Jesus Christ, who was in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus is in heaven, but he didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped or held on to. But he released it, and he came to earth and took on the form of a man. In doing that, Jesus steps down. He lowers himself. He humbles himself, and he humbles himself to the point that he ends up dying the death that we should die by taking our sins on his back. That's agape love. Love that sacrifices for the benefit of others. That's agape love. And that's the love we're talking about here. And that's the love that John is certainly talking about. So we love all because God loves all. The passage of Scripture which we all, or maybe most of us could re recite by heart, John three sixteen, For God so loved, agaped, the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever, whoever, all, anybody, the world believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. So, so we love others because God loves everyone else. Wait, you mean, you mean God loves that knucklehead down the street from me? Yep. You mean God loves, God loves that person that murdered? Yep. You mean God loves that rapist? Yeah, I mean that. Jesus gave his life for, the, for his creation, for it all, and it was all motivated out of love. So I broke this down into three sections where God loves all. First, and I want you to, to make note of this, and this really is kind of the driving point of this first point here I'm ready to share. This is kind of the driving point of really the kingdom conspiracy. God loves the poor. God loves the poor. Let me have you look at a couple of passages of Scripture. And, and I just, there's just grabbing a couple here. There's well over 300 verses of Scripture concerning God's attitude toward the poor. So let's, uh, let's look at Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. When you reap your har the harvest of your land... Don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
Don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. God has, has a heart for the poor. So in this field that you worked in, that you own, that you have invested in, that you have put your time and your money and your sweat equity, and you've hired people to work in this field, when you get to the edges of the field, don't grab it all up. Leave some for the poor people and leave some for the alien or for the travelers who are coming through. That's a picture of God's love for the poor. If you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 15 and look at verses 7 and 8. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Now, I'm... I got to be really honest with you. I don't like these verses. I I really don't like that last verse. If my brother ain't going to work, I want to hang on to it. I don't want to give it to him. God says, don't be tight-fisted. I think that's just kind of interesting. Actually, I want you to look in your bulletins. I don't know if we have this on the overhead or not, but I want you to see this quote by Mark Rosenfelder. And this was, this was just coming from a political angle. It was really kind of ish, interesting. He said, if you wanted to be a biblical one-issue voter, you'd do well to make that one issue serving the poor. Why? Because that's the one issue that God brings up over and over and over and over again. You'll see why in just a second. You'll see why he brings it up. Okay, sec- second thing, God loves all. Uh, love all because God loves all. God loves the poor. Second thing, God loves the jerk. Okay? Go to Matthew. I don't know how else to say this. Um, Go to Matthew 5. Look at verses 43 to 48. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, simply says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on, on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, so God loves the jerk. God loves your enemies. God loves those who, who like to gossip about you. God loves those who, who like it when you're hurt. God loves those who, who kick you when you're down. So how do we then express love to the jerk? Because if you're like me, you, you don't really want to express love to them. You kind of be like David where you're going, okay, God, when are you going to get them back? When are you just going to knock the props from under them? I'm waiting. I can't wait to see you just take them out. And yet that's not, that's not what God is saying here in this passage. So how is it expressed? One of the ways it's, it, it, it is expressed, let me get this out. I think there's two ways. One is you do good to your enemies. You do good to your enemies. Go over to Luke chapter 6. Look at what Jesus has to say in verses 27 to 36. 
But I tell you who are hearing me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic as well. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked." Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And before you go, okay, wait a second. This is, this is crazy stuff. Let me tell you, Jesus was kind to you. Just think. Just think of, of the sin in your own life. Just think of how, as Kyle Caton so grace, gracefully said, how jacked up you are because you are a sinner. Just think of that for a second. You don't deserve God's grace any more than I deserve God's grace. We only deserve His punishment. But in His love for you and His love for me, he, he takes our sin and He places it on His Son. And His Son pays the price that we should have paid so that when we, st- when we die and we, we stand before Him in judgment, when we stand before Him, if indeed we'll be standing... He sees Jesus and not you and your sin because Jesus paid for it and you put your trust in it. So you already know you are a recipient of the most amazing act of grace and mercy that anyone could ever extend to anyone else. And all Jesus is saying is, now... I want you on the physical level and on the human level then to extend that grace to your enemies. And you can go, okay, I understand that, Rick. I'll pray about it and see what the Lord tells me. Just do it because he's already told you. You don't have to pray about it. If he says this is what you do, you don't have to pray about it. You just need to do it. But that's a sore spot and it is with me too, okay? So I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just letting you listen in on me talking to myself, okay? Uh, all right, second thing, how is this expressed in God loves the jerk? The, these people who, who, who are so offensive to us, these people who hurt us, the second way is that you forgive your enemies. Now before this is over, you'll probably be saying, okay, wait a second, How about I just pay them? Because this forgiving stuff I don't want to do. Okay? Look at uh, Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. This is a familiar passage of Scripture to you. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, meaning Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, look at this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Now look at this. They didn't ask Jesus for forgiveness. 
They didn't go to him and say, oh, okay, we're so sorry for what we're doing right now. They didn't ask, would you please forgive us for just nailing you to the cross? No. He forgave them without the invitation. And then, to kind of pour salt in the wound, as soon as he says, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing, they looked up and said, okay, cool, who's got the dice? Let's cast lots. I mean, it, it just, they just bypass it completely. Forgiving our enemies, that is one of the greatest expressions of God's love. Let me, let me just say it this way. Because I, I understand, okay, fill in the blank, forgive your enemies. Okay, I understand that. I know what that says. My trouble is I don't know what it looks like. So, so Rick, what does that look like? I'll say it this way. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to my marriage here, but I'm, I'm not going back to my marriage because Bev was my enemy. <laughs> uh, I'm not going there for that reason. But I think the principle is the same. You know when you're, you're married and all of a sudden you just butt heads. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But Bev and I did. And, and when, when we would butt heads... And when things would come out and things would be said, the only way you can deal with those things is to eventually forgive them, apologize, and then forgive if that's necessary. And here's what, here's what I practiced. Here's what I did. Sometimes I did it and then wished I hadn't, but I knew I was doing the right thing. Because when Bev would say, would you please forgive me? I would simply say, you're forgiven. And when I would ask the same, she would do the same. I think, I think here's how you deal with forgiveness of your enemies, in your family, with your children, with, uh, with the place where you work. I think before you begin to think about it and go, okay, let's see. Now, if I forgive them after all they've done to me, and you start figuring it out, and you, you end up talking yourself out of forgiving them. And so what, what I find myself doing, and this wasn't just in my marriage relationship, this was true in relationships outside of my marriage, is that when someone said, um, you, you asked, would you please forgive me? My response was, absolutely, I'll forgive you. I didn't want to think about it. I just wanted to do it because by doing it, I was being obedient. Now, after I said, you're forgiven, now, for the next few weeks, it was kind of walking around going, oh, yeah, I forgave that. I forgave that. I can't bring it up again. I forgave that. And so I had to hold myself to what I had said I would do, and that is to forgive. Because when you forgive, even though you can't forget, you can refuse to bring it up again. And so that's how you have a healthy marriage. That's how you can have a decent work environment. That's how you can have nice neighbors. And I don't want to say nice neighbors, but that's how you can get along with your neighbors. Uh, that's, that's how it's done. And we forgive because God forgave. So he's not asking you to do the impossible. He's only asking you to follow suit. Do what he did for you. Doesn't it sound so right? But doesn't it really stink? I mean, 
Okay, we'll keep on going. Uh, the third under love all because God loves all, and this is the big deal. God loves the poor, God loves the jerk, and then thirdly, God loves me, or God loves you. Romans 5 eight. here in his love, how, how does he say that? God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were still jerks, Christ died for us. So we love all because God loves me. Now, that doesn't mean when you, when you love everybody, when you try to model that attitude towards everybody you come into contact with, that doesn't mean there's not going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict. Because there's, there's going to be people who will not reciprocate. There will be people who, when you ask them to forgive you, they'll go, are you kidding me? You hurt me so bad. I could never forgive you for that. You're going to get that. But you're not responsible for other people in this. You're responsible for you. Okay. Now, the last thing I have for you is this. Love all because love is the avenue to carry the gospel to the unbelieving world. This is big here. I want to say it again. Love all because love is the avenue to carry the gospel to the unbelieving world. Look at what John says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look at this. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then if you'll jump over to John 17, verses 20 to 23. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Here Jesus is praying for us. Look what he prays. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When we love others, God uses our actions of love, our acts of love, as the conduit to carry His grace and His mercy to the unbelieving world. I remember when Cyrus Madbondo was here and the children of the world were standing up here. And one of the things he said is that by, by us going and building the baby rescue mission, by us going and digging wells, by us doing that, it opens the door. It allows, it allows us the opportunity and the right to be heard by the people that we're helping. And so this is a big deal. If you, this Christmas, are going to do some acts of kindness, you're going to do acts of love, compelled by the Spirit that is within you to love all and to reach out and bless someone else. If you're, if you're going to do that, I hope, I hope and pray that then you will, you will use that as an opportunity then to let people know why you're doing it. 
because that's what they need to know. If you're buying someone an outfit of clothes, someone who, who needs a pair of shoes, and you're buying them a pair of shoes, if you're just giving them shoes, you're giving them something that's going to wear out. But the act of love that is giving those shoes is an opportunity for you to say, I'm giving these to you because God gave us the greatest gift in his son Jesus. And he loves you and he wants you to be in heaven with him. You have a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus by these acts of love. And then I, I will, um, I'll say this and then I have a little story to share with you. I came across in one of the devotionals I'm reading um, we live in a small community, but we live in a, in, in a small community where there are more needs than we could ever meet. And so you can be absolutely inundated when you look and go, okay, I don't even know where to start. What do we do? Do we, do we run over to Wayne Hills? Do we uh, go to the bottoms down in Lucasville? Uh, do we go to the way? Where, where do we go? Do I go to my neighbor? I don't know where to go. There's so much need. And I remember what Andy, Andy Stanley said, and, and, um, and I, I, he, he sure answered some questions for me because I was struggling with that same thing. And then, here's the deal. If I help this person, then that person has a neighbor that needs help too. And then if I help them, they have a neighbor that needs help. And so where does the helping stop? I don't have the resources to be able to take care of everybody. Andy Stanley said this. He said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one person what you wish you could do for every person because you already know you cannot do it for everyone. So do it for one. And if we would all do it for one, just imagine the impact we have in not just putting shoes on the feet, food in a belly, clothes on a back, Imagine the impact we have in being able to use this then as an avenue to take the gospel of Jesus where they might come away with more than new shoes. They might come away with a new heart. And wouldn't that be a blessing? That would be a blessing. Um, I, I share this little story. I've got to read it to you. It's too good not to do this word for word. In this devotional I was reading, Our Daily Bread, I read an amazing story that came out of the Korean War, the author of this section wrote. A young, a young communist officer ordered the execution of a Christian civilian. When he learned that his prisoner was in charge of an orphanage and was doing much good in caring for small children, he decided to spare his life, but kill his son instead. The 19-year-old boy was shot in the presence of his father. Later, when the tide of events changed, this same officer was captured, tried, and condemned to death for war crimes. But before the sentence could be carried out, the Christian father pleaded for the life of this communist who had killed his son. He admitted that if justice were followed, this man should be executed. But since he was so young and blindly idealistic, he probably thought that his actions were right. Give him to me, he said, and I'll teach him about the Savior. They granted the request. The father took the murderer of his son into his own home. And as a result of his self-sacrificing love, that communist became a Christian pastor. 
I don't know that I could do that. But that's love in action. And maybe I couldn't do that. But God sets in front of me every day opportunities to extend the love of Jesus to everyone I come into contact with. And why should I do it? Because he loves me and because he loves everyone. And you might be that very vessel that God is going to use to carry his gospel. Let me, I, I'm, I'm going to close with this. Um, there is a boldness that comes. Uh, I'll s- pardon how I say this. I don't know how else to say it, but it's how I feel. Um, there's a boldness that comes when your life sucks. And when, um, when Bev passed away, um, I mean, we, we had, our family had a great Thanksgiving. We had a great time. It was wonderful. We all put up Christmas together. I mean, it's, it's been good. And it's been so good for, to have John and Jeremy and, and Anna and, and their families at the house. It's just been good. It's been crazy, but it's been good. Um, but it's different. And so every day I have people who come up to me and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I have been offered so many meals that I honestly believe I don't have to cook for a year if I took everybody up on it. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful act of grace. And, and I understand people, I, I know what it's like to be in the position where you're trying to encourage and offer. And, and, and so I, I appreciate that. But you know what I found is that people that I, I know in a, as acquaintances, people I have relationships with, that aren't believers, I've, I, I mean, I've been around them for a long time, long time. But it was like, I don't really want to talk to them about Jesus right now, you know? And really, I, I, I'm kind of, I don't know what they'll think. I don't know what they'll say. They may, they may not want to hang out anymore. They not, may not want to act like they know me anymore, you know, that kind of thing. You understand that fear. Well, now I could care less. And uh, so there I am sitting in the locker room at the Life Center, and I have a couple people come over and you know, shake my hand. I'm really sorry about this. And I just look at them and say, you know what? It's, it's, it really stinks. I mean, I, I hate it. But I can't do anything about it. But I can tell you this. I don't know how anybody deals with this without Jesus because I know my wife is standing in the presence of her Savior right now, Be, not because she was good. She was a sinner just like you, just like me. But she trusted Jesus as her Savior. And that's what I'm doing. And that's what I'm counting on. I said, I'm banking my whole life on it, that Jesus is who he says he is. And I think you ought to bank your life on it too. That's what I'm telling them. Just has a way of making you bold, you know? And so when you do these random acts of love and you don't really have a reason to be bold right now because your life's all going okay... And that's fine. When you do these random acts of love, oh, take the opportunity to tell them about the Savior that is prompting you to do what you're doing. Do that. You will not go wrong. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much for your great 
great love. First that you extended it to us, you extended it to me, Rick Clark, just a stinking rotten bum, and, and yet you forgave my sin, and you have come and lived in me, and you made me new, and you've been working in my life ever since. I thank you that this evening Kirk jumps in the baptismal waters and he professes his allegiance to Jesus, and I thank you that, that he's a new man in Christ. And Lord, I, as you have extended your love to us as individuals, then God, please, please burn in our hearts the desire to then extend that love to others, not just to provide for physical needs, but to use that as an open avenue to share about the agape love of God. And Lord, as we do that, may you be honored and may, may people be drawn to you as they hear about and experience your great love. I give you thanks, I give you honor, and I give you glory in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you guys for being here. It is really good to have you. We'll be back here next week at 5 o'clock. Do not forget, though, to sign up for laying wreaths there at the cemetery. Another wonderful way just to express love and appreciation. God bless you.